We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Redraft, draft preparation, and what you need to know for your drafts as we get right into full-on redraft season. Sean, we are also going to be drafting on Friday, so this show coming out on Friday in the FFPC main event. We are going to open an email in just a moment, Sean, which is going to tell us our draft spot. We can react to that. That may also influence what we talk about in today's show. We might talk about what we're going to try and do in attack, if it's from the back, the front, the middle. We also will talk through probably... (laughs) that anyway as we go through today's show but we are into draft season i know you've done a number of main events already you did a fantastic one with ship chasing this past week well last week as people are listening to this but sean we are going to do our show and it is going to come out as we like to do as podcasts we always get positive feedback on those it will be our first redraft one that we're posting up obviously of the year and we're hoping to uh, make a deep run into the main event obviously you have to win your league first in that scenario and then head on over and get into the race for first overall place but two thousand dollars entry fee come back and make sure you listen in as we draft our team that will be available on the rotaviz overtime podcast feed this coming monday so do check that out but sean i know you're excited the zero rb list up on rotaviz.com obviously people have been digesting it diving into it obviously a, a I think, I think Sean, when it comes to early August, that is the question that Sean obviously is not on those Twitter streets. That is the the most DMs I frequently get. Is uh, any update when the uh, zero B zero B list is coming out? So it is out now. Go and read it at rotaviz.com. You can also use the code RB Radio twenty twenty three at checkout to go and get that. But Sean, probably a weight off your shoulders that the list is is out. I know you put a lot of thought, a lot of work into it every year. Yeah, but it's also a labor of love and, you know, so much fun, too. So it's and a decade in the books. We didn't mention that. It is. It is. And so I, I always think back to that time ba- frame. Like your baby is 10 years old. 10 years old. Yeah. And those years between 2008 and 2013 that really formed everything, playing heavy, high stakes and seeing what those teams would do and it's interesting that we're now as you mentioned a decade along and you know i don't want to say it's 
a vindication for the approach because I think there are a lot of different things going into the shifts that we've had in ADP, but it has been fun to you know see how fantasy football has evolved. The other element of it is that it keeps us thinking, right? We don't go into autopilot and just be like, all right, well, we're just going to draft receivers and then you know have a good team, see what happens. The thing that's been so much fun about 2023 is that prices are begging you, begging you to have the guts to take running backs. And so that's the you know, real question that we're wrestling with is, A, does it make sense? And where is the evidence there? And so in discussing all of this, we've talked a lot about the tools on the site, the Win the Flex tool, the Range of Outcomes tool, all the different elements that you can look through to have a really strong evidence-based perspective for what the trade-offs are. Because if you don't understand how the positions score relative to each other, then you don't have a starting point for evaluating where you should start to consider guys you think are going to outperform, right? If you're looking at round four and you're trying to decide between Christian Watson and Travis Etienne, for example, those two guys right now, ADPs in the dead center of round four, maybe you like both of those guys, but if you don't have a properly calibrated sense of what the positions tend to do, then knowing that you're above or below on a particular guy within his positional ADP rank, you know, then you don't know where to go with that. And so obviously there are lots of great projections that are out there right now. And I think a lot of people would say, well, since ADP is going to track the projections that we have from some of the best minds in the industry, I mean, doesn't that more or less give us all of the information that we need? But Colin, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that the market has been wrong for a decade on how you should value these players. And so if you're just trusting the market, you're in all likelihood going to be wrong again. And then two, I mean, you're hoping to draft players at every single draft spot that they're not going to all hit and they're not going to all stay healthy. But you do have to approach it from the perspective that you think the guy that you select when you are on the clock is the best bet to outperform that price of any of the players who are left. And to make those decisions, you have to have an understanding of how these positions have historically scored and then what the new environment is. And so if you want to think about some of those new environments, we have a fantastic episode on stealing bananas, looking at some of the general trends and the risks that you have for your football team, your fantasy football team with that. And then we also break it down by position, specifically running back and wide receiver. So really three or four shows on that column. I enjoyed recording those with Ben. He obviously does a fantastic job. People can check those out. But Today, we're going to be thinking a little bit zero RB. We're going to be thinking a little about, well, maybe we don't want to be zero RB. Maybe foundation running back gets the job done. And we're also going to be talking just sort of general redraft strategy and tactics. So one of the things that came out right before the zero RB candidates countdown this week was a home league strategy piece. So for listeners who are thinking, well, you guys are... You know, hopefully at least vaguely interesting if you're listening along with us. But <laughs> the things you're talking about are not specifically targeted at my league. There is that on the site. So make sure you check that out. It discusses the ways that you can tweak the Rotoviz perspective and objectives to your home league. You have that there. But column today, we're looking to win 
$1 million by putting together a good plan for main events, a good plan for the 350 level, which is called the Fantasy Pros Contest this year. Let's open that up, see what our present is, unwrap it, and our draft slot is the... Well, I'm going to pause it one second. You mentioned okay. the shows that you embedded. They are fantastic. Check those out. A lot of positive feedback. Probably the most feedback, Sean, we've gotten on any show over the last month or two has been the reverse zero RB draft strategy. That was last Friday's show where we did talk about redraft and how the landscape differs from baseball and what you can try and achieve to do. And that will be kind of expanded on that, I think, as we go through today's show. But that has uh, been a, a very successful episode. So if you, I know we've been doing Dynasty on Fridays for quite some time. And sometimes I'm sure there is people who listen to the first two shows of the week and maybe they're not Dynasty players, so they skip that one. But that was last Friday's episode, heavy redraft focus. But one of the favorite episodes I think I've, I've ever recorded with Sean. So head on back and check that one out. But Sean, the drum roll is on. We're going to head in and see the draft spot. And it is, have a guess. 101. Wrong. What 103. Wrong. 107. Wrong. 112. Correct. <laughs> it's the 112, Sean. How do you feel? I should ask you what first which draft slot you wanted. I have a feeling that you went through them there in order of which one you would prefer. As we sit here straight away, how do you feel about the 112 in fantasy drafts? I like it. And Bjorn Yang Barnett, who I've been drafting a Rotoviz Triflex startup with, and he's got a data-driven piece on that he's got a lot of great best ball content you can learn a ton from bjorn make sure you get in there and check out his work especially if you're going to draft some best ball teams down the stretch here and how having this slot that's in the 110 111 112 range is actually fantastic and there are some specific things that you can do to beat your league when you have that slot that you can't do nearly as well from other slots so number one read that number two I'm excited about it. Colin, my favorite slot would be the 106. And so it was it was a lot of fun to get that with the ship chasing crew because we were then able to take advantage of guys falling to us. And we were able to take advantage of the fact that we were not going to get really caught up in the buzzsaw of positional runs. But there are also some fun things we can do from the 112 that you can't do from the middle. One of the things that you want to do when you get your draft slot is you figure out how to exploit that draft slot, figure out what the strengths are, lean into them, what the weakness are, mitigate those. And I mean, I like the fact that at the one-two turn, you're going to get two players you really like in 2023. I think the three-four turn is more problematic, but especially with those running backs falling, you can do some interesting things. So just as a for example, if you take two of those young wide receivers at the one-two, then you're fired up. You take two of the running back fallers at three-four, I think you're fired up again. And then the five-six turn is also one where that is not a flat area that's actually an area that's very exciting there are some areas of the draft like the four or five turn now in redraft tight end premium the four or five turn is fun because george kittle and kyle pitts are there and so in this specific format you know that's not you know kind of one of these vacant areas either and yet when i'm looking at the various turns in the high leverage rounds I do like what I'm seeing. The problem that you get, obviously, is that, you know, the drafters who get the the top slots, not only do they get the very best players, but they get the draft early in three, five, seven, nine. You know, those things help you. It's not like you prefer to have a draft spot at the end, 
But I think that 2023 is uniquely positive in that it hurts you so much less this year than it ever has in the past. I would agree with that. And I, I do think that there is drop-offs in certain tiers, but it kind of has tier breaks by position. So you can flip to, like you mentioned, a wide receiver in the first and second round and flip it over. And depending on how you're looking to do things, for people looking for examples, you know, 10, 11, 12 in the first round is Amon Ross St. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Nick Chubb, and then turning around to Saquon Barkley, A.J. Brown, Tony Pollard. But players you're probably looking at to pen in there are Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell. You know, they fit in there if, if all those wide receivers are there. You know, probably not drafting Nick Chubb at that spot. Tony Pollard goes early second, Not probably not going there. Barkley is obviously an interesting option. But I, we talked about this, Sean, on last week's show. The options then you know, from round three through, you know, six, really. There's some very intriguing running back options. And a lot of those guys are going to be potentially available at the 3-4 turn, like you mentioned. Some of them, then the Javante Williams' is ADP at the moment is at the 5-12. Chris Godwin, Branton Ayuk are at the 6-01-6-02. And obviously, in different drafts, they'll go in different orders. But Deontay Johnson is somebody going at the back end of the fifth round. Dotson goes... And the seventh round at the back end. So there's lots of interesting options. The one thing that makes it a little bit tricky in some of these drafts is when you're drafting at the turns, we talked about this a few times, there's a lot more you know, reaching or maneuvering. Whereas that draft that I mentioned on the show that we dropped on Wednesday where I said that I did a draft solo in the Superflex tournament after we did our draft, I drafted from the 101. And it does feel like, when we did our draft and you're in the mid kind of ranges of a draft, you are going to have some more opportunities for values to really fall to or have an idea of where the draft is going round to round. Whereas when you're at those turns, that can be more so probably a psychological challenge than an actual, you know, challenge that happens. But how do you feel being right at a turn versus having that spot? Let's say you mentioned the six in the middle where you can see it evolving. Yeah. I don't know that that, part concerns me i'm perfectly happy especially once we get a little bit deeper into the draft to just go ahead and take our targets and not worry too much about where they're going but i mean the part that does hurt you and you you think a little bit about okay well again it's not just that you don't get a chance to draft Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or Christian McCaffrey. It's that round seven is really interesting, but unless some guys fall, which is possible, we talk about, you know, benefiting from fallers, you could get a guy to fall to you at the end, just like you can sometimes in the middle. The problem is just that when you have the two picks together, you know, you're not going to get two fallers there in all likelihood. You maybe get only one, but maybe you get somebody to fall. But the guys in round seven are exciting, but they don't make it to the 7-12 by ADP, which doesn't mean they couldn't make it in your draft. The guys in round nine are exciting, but they don't make it to 9-12, again, by ADP. It could happen in your draft. To you lose can add on- this in, John. The guys in round eight are not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the guys that you probably have to... You know, to you're probably, if you don't like the guys in round eight when you're at the... 801 you're you're probably reaching in our case maybe to a quentin johnson you know at the 903 you're probably making a round reach there yeah and and so you you mean you hit it right there on the head round eight and round 10 
are both gross. Again, in terms of the players who are actually going there, you don't have to pick players based on ADP. You can take the best players on your board. And so, you know, you don't want to get depressed by, okay, well, these are the ADP values. These are the guys I have to take and take the players that are going to help you win the tournament. But there is a pretty big tier break in both of those situations. And so you, you can have a situation where it, it feels like it would be round one, round two, round three, you know, that, not having a good pick hurts you on that's not necessarily the case in 2023 it to me right now it looks to be much more these round seven round nine ranges because you know once you hit that tier break in the middle of round nine you're now talking about a completely different level of player the entire rest of the draft and it's not that none of those guys will hit but the profiles are quantitatively different enough that your odds do fall off a cliff and so that part isn't ideal and yet colin we can kind of counterbalance some of those things or we can punch back by being intentional about how we build the team one of the things that we did the other day with the the ship chasing crew was to wait on both qb and tight end at least to an extent Got a good price on Tua, which I kind of think is the last of you know those potential league-winning QBs, which isn't to say we couldn't get some huge exp- surprises from the back. We, we could. But Tua obviously has already demonstrated a stretch of extremely high-level fantasy play. We also took four tight ends in Sam Laporta, Greg Dulcich, Michael Mayer, and Trey McBride. When you're kind of looking at it here, one of the things that does immediately jump out to you is that not only do you have this round seven and round nine issue, but you probably are not in perfect position to select an elite tight end. You can take Mark Andrews at the turn. That's obviously a, a very solid play, but maybe not the very best way to maximize the fact that two young wide receivers are likely to be there. So maybe you don't want to pick him when you could say select a garrett wilson instead then you look at the three four turn and it's kind of the darren waller spot and you think about preseason week two and how like every single ball was thrown to him and you're like well maybe that's a great pick he should be in the second round at this point sean yeah i mean we're heading towards we're heading towards darren waller like 107 we did talk about on one of the recent shows in the dynasty sort of mailbag portion, why we might have some just very mild concerns about Waller. And we are talking about mild concerns. I mean, this is the area where you can select Debo Samuel and Travis Etienne, and, you know, it's a round ahead of where you can select Brees Hall. You get other very high quality options right there. So not selecting Darren Waller is not to say that Darren Waller is going to bust, but simply to say that you like someone else still a little bit better. Then you get to the five six turn and the top seven tight ends which i really think is a pretty firm tier break where you've got a big drop after that and that's kind of what drafters also think where you have zero tight ends going in round six you get to the end of round five and they're gone and now you've got to formulate a pretty different draft plan to try and manage the fact that in all likelihood none of the remaining guys will be able to match that tight end scoring 
Before we move into the second part of today's show, I want to take a little moment to change gears and to talk to you about our podcast partners, Blue Wire. This podcast, as well as all the other podcasts on the Road of His Radio Podcast Network, are partnered with Blue Wire. Blue Wire was founded in 2018. We joined up with them and partnered with them shortly afterwards on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And I have to say, partnering with Blue Wire back in those early days has helped us grow Road of His Radio has changed my life personally but it has been a truly fantastic experience they have helped us to monetize content to provide strategy sessions and much much more behind the scenes which has helped us grow the network dramatically and on a personal level it has also helped me go from somebody who did podcasts as a hobby and to a part-time basis and now into a full-time career so it has been massive for rotoviz radio over the last few years they have raised over 10 million dollars to grow and operate their business but now they are raising another round through WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors, gives everyone an opportunity to be part of a growing startup. I want to be clear, this is not a donation. You know, you're investing in your own piece of Blue Wire, but the Blue Wire network is a big part of supporting what we do here at Rotoviz. In fantasy football terms, we think that Blue Wire is an absolute first round pick. They are our 101. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com forward slash Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending live events. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person, it is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats and that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and 
use the code ROTOVIZ for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code ROTOVIZ for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. And I think that summarizes, Sean, kind of the pros and cons of our draft slot. But when we're talking through it from a general overview of those rounds, very similar outset of what we're talking about of being at the tournament potentially having to to reach for certain players that that happens i find when you're drafting as well at the one two turn for example but there is the advantage that you mentioned some of those rounds that we highlighted as having tear breaks or being you know more exciting than others obviously they get the pick of those players in that round and while we're at the other side we're hoping that they maybe trickle down or, or fall down to us potentially or depending on how the draft plays out I think it's a very, very interesting landscape. And to highlight some of the stuff that we talked about last week when, you know, you mentioned at the start, is it a zero RB plan in these sort of drafts? But I, I really think what we talked about on that Friday edition is is really set up no matter what your draft slot is at the moment. And you can have that zero RB draft, and I'm sure we will have one, Sean, as we, we move forward here for all formats. But if you're in a spot when you're on the clock, you mentioned the darn waller selection and trying to decide between for example debo or etn with waller on the clock but there is some of these picks particularly in around two three four even into five where and i, I believe it was on either stealing bananas or on road of his ot last week that you mentioned that pick for pick the best player available is the running back so that there sets up i think across all rounds so we're talking a moment ago specific to the back end of the drafts but i really think whether you know you're at pick two three four five six all the way across i think the opportunities are open up to to counter that kind of traditional zero rb that we would be advising at this point well let me throw one at you so let's say we have the 105 106 something like that and christian mccaffrey makes it to you which he did make it to us in ship chasing he has an ADP of 104, which I think is more accurate in my FFPC rankings right now. I do have him as the 103. So ahead of Jamar Chase, even though, I mean, I obviously love Jamar Chase. You don't have to sell me on him. It's more a matter of, and Christian McCaffrey has this absolutely massive ceiling at a position where, I mean, you can tell from the way that drafters are making their picks, they're a little bit you know, either scared in general or just they are trying to work through and figure out like where are they going to get points. But so let me run this past you. Round one, you select Christian McCaffrey. Round two, you select Jameer Gibbs. Round three, you select Ramondre Stevenson. Round four, you select Brees Hall. Round five, you select Javante Williams. Round six, you select J.K. Dobbins. So you start with six running backs, all of whom could very easily finish in the top 10. Round seven, you take Jahan Dotson because probably George Pickens is gone. Maybe now with the injury to JSN, you can select him in round seven. So Jahan Dotson, seven. Round eight, you select Quinton Johnston because he's not going to quite come back to you in round nine. He might, but you take him there because you need a receiver, obviously. Round nine, you take Traylon Burks and you get the discount of the injury. Round 10, Rashad Bateman, a guy who we liked as a prospect and is a former first round pick. Round 11, 
you stash Jamison Williams. Round 12, you take Rasheed Rice. Six consecutive wide receivers. You're planning to start the first two that you drafted, but you also have four other interesting names. So it's not just a matter of giving up at those spots. I mean, Rasheed Rice could very easily lead the Kansas City Chiefs in wide receiver receiving. You're taking some risk on Bateman. You're taking some risk on Williams, but you're very intentionally selecting those guys because as you move through the season, those might be the guys you need to win it at the end. Now we have eight picks left. Two of them are going to be kicker and defense, so we have six picks left. We look at the next picks on a pick-by-pick basis. We don't know who's going to be there once you get into round 13. You're going to have some variety in terms of how much people reach for different guys. But ideally, with those six picks, we would select three tight ends and three quarterbacks. If you really feel comfortable about a couple of quarterbacks, you could go four tight ends and two quarterbacks. If you get a couple of tight ends that you like, and then it flattens out for you and the people you want aren't there, you could go with just two. And you could go with four QBs. But then what you'd be looking to do would be to select three out of four of Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter and perhaps especially slotting Kyler Murray in for one of those guys. And the idea there is that you actually don't know how well these quarterbacks are going to perform and that their range of outcomes are much wider than people are giving them credit for. But you also have to have the humility to know that it's going to be hard to pick that out ahead of time. And so what you do want to do is see those guys for two or three weeks or a month because you're not giving up QB scoring. Your philosophy here, your thesis is that one of these guys is going to hit and that guy is going to be on my roster. And then you're kind of trying to cobble together tight end position with some of these rookies that we like, some of the, you know, second year, maybe almost post hypish guys. Trey McBride is someone the Cardinals tried to get a number of targets to early in preseason week two it wasn't super effective because Colin Coy didn't play particularly well but you've got some names there so it's not a complete capitulation to only go running back and wide receiver through the first 12 picks now obviously you have some trade-offs because there are going to be some teams who have an elite tight end who have an elite quarterback maybe especially in the early going they have a little bit of an edge on you at those spots but as the draft And as the season, I should say, moves along, you have a lot of depth in high-end talent at positions that become increasingly difficult to fill as we have injuries and as we have busts. So I'm not saying go out and do that, but I do think that in order to decide who you actually want, you have to kick around in your mind this six running back start even if you don't think it's viable, just because it does free you up to really work through what the pluses and minuses are, what the trade-offs are, and reinforce for yourself why you're doing why you're do what you're doing, as opposed to simply being, you know, kind of on autopilot as you move through that draft. What will be your thoughts on this six running back start and then those six wide receivers that we got in this hypothetical? I think I should leave like a five second pause here for the listeners to decide what my answer is going to be i think that i will uh probably not go for the six running back start what i would counter that and i've read a few things down as you're going through 
I wouldn't be against having five to six running backs through the 10 selections, let's say, um, for those opening 10 rounds. I think some of those picks as I was going through it, there's other players at wide receiver, potentially even tight end, that I would much rather from those particular selections. But it's not that far-fetched to do it in that direction. But I do think when you get into you know round eight forward, I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky with some of the the parts. One of the things I'm going to ask is around quarterback. And my concern with that would be, I would rather not have three quarterbacks, you know, holding. I'd rather have players that were projecting to be week one or week two waiver wire additions in those later rounds. And for example, in ADP terms, this is, you know, shortly, you know, we're waiting on the adjustment from Sam Howell's preseason heroics, but he is going off the board in the 20th round and the, the main event in terms of ADP. Sean also mentioned Kyler Murray, quarterback 23, round 18, Brock Purdy, round 18, round 17 is Kenny Pickett, for example. So, those guys are going to let enough that you're able to do it. The other part is, and Sean's probably going to come back at me with this comment, is the other players potentially going in that zone maybe aren't you know, as exciting as those sort of players that you might be trying to pick up in week one or two and, and having those quarterbacks with the high upside potential may make sense. That might be the, the counter back, but somebody like, you know, Sean Tucker's going in the late 20th round. That may continue to increase, you know, could be one of those players that come week one or week two. If he went on draft, it would be a little bit more expensive on the waiver wire. So the quarterback element, Sean, the second part of the quarterback concern would be, obviously you can push it. You don't have to get three quarterbacks. You could just take two of them if it was only two available. The concern would be if you end up getting squeezed out completely a quarterback and don't get those particular names. Now, we'll all obviously in a draft you're able to check who has a quarterback, who has one, who has two, and what will happen. Some teams will leave these drafts with, with one quarterback, some teams with two. But it is a still a narrow enough path if you're you know trying to wait on ADP, for example, on Sam Howell. It wouldn't be a case that you could wait to the twentieth round if you're wanting to get him on your roster in this scenario. How what's the what's the rebutal? Well, I'm comfortable going all the way up to four because quarterbacks. Part, four quarterbacks in part because i again i think we have to have that humility that we don't know who the actual breakout star is going to be and every extra guy that we layer in there we increase our chances of being on the right one and i don't think that you want to spend two thousand dollars and like just miss on the right one when your opportunity cost was some random round 18 guy who is going to get cut after one week the, I mean, the name that kind of jumps out for me here, and I know that there's a, a massive amount of skepticism about this name, or else he wouldn't be undrafted. But Desmond Ritter is completely undrafted, and you know, maybe I, I would say at this point, you look at what Daniel Jones did last year, sort of solidifying himself. You look at where he is now with the improved weapons with a Darren Waller, whom we just discussed, and guys like Wondell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt potentially also like making a push at some point in the year and giving him plus weapons, right? So, I mean, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a pretty good fantasy QB, but we also just have a lot of information at this point that he probably doesn't move the needle in a massive way. The offense probably won't be dynamic enough, and he is probably not talented enough 
to really be a league winning option. Now I say that even though he is somebody that I, I do think he should have a little exposure to because of those weapons that I mentioned and the fact that he does look pretty good right now. Desmond Ritter has a lot more bust potential. But if we think about if Ritter has a solid season, which is, again, there's a more of a conditional there. It's if he does this. But if he does that, I think that his scoring levels track very similarly with Daniel Jones. And so, I mean, this is the guy who's completely free. You're talking about weapons of Kyle Pitts and Drake London. He's going to run a little bit more in all likelihood. They're going to have a lot of those dome games. You're set up for some shootouts. I mean, if you're on the Atlanta Falcons at all, and not everybody is, and I'm not saying you you know, necessarily need to be, but if you are, you've got to think about that as a possibility. And so when we're looking at Pickett, who, again, you know, probably you're going to be better off if you just completely ignore the preseason, but Pickett looks like a guy who's going to take the next step, and he's got weapons. So you can make that play. You can make the Kyler Murray stash. You can draft Brock Purdy for his weapons. You can make the Sam Howell play. And because these guys are basically free, they're going in the range where you definitely don't want any of those receivers. And, you know, maybe, I mean, you mentioned like the one name who's kind of interesting in those last four rounds, right? But if you have selected. I'm talking about, I I did mention a narrow path. There's also a narrow path to make sure you get the one player that's available in the last four rounds. It's interesting. I mean, the the element here that you have to factor in is simply that, you know, you got to take your kicker in defense too. And so you're going to need to start taking your quarterbacks if you want to take three or four of them in that 15, 16 round range. And you say, well, maybe in that range, I do have some other names that I like, but I would encourage people to actually look at who those names are because you might be surprised at how you really don't. (laughs) But then the element is if you have to start in rounds 15 and 16, then again, I mean, you're probably not going to get locked out because the guys are going after that. And so... The reason that we would add a lot of guys, and I think that sometimes people are like, well, you wouldn't draft four in best ball. But again, it's a very different dynamic that we're talking about here. We're not looking for an optimized lineup. We're not looking for a player or a combination of players who score in the right combinations to get us weekly outcomes. We're looking to get information from players at a time in the season that is pre-bye week when we have some roster spots and we're hoping that out of the three or four that we come up with say two that either give us two breakout options to continue. So that would mean that they gave you at least some sense that maybe they were breaking out already, but then two breakout options to continue and, or that you're going to be able to match up play those two players. And one of the reasons that we say that is that in a 20 roster spot league, even if a couple of those guys are kicker and defense, you actually will run into problems if you put those guys onto waivers and then you're trying to, you know, get them back cheaply or trying to, you know, not be blocked by someone else. It, it's not like the quarterback scarcity is going to go to zero. And that's one of the reasons why people don't necessarily you don't want to play it that way, but you think about what you have to bid for someone who is kind of breaking out mid season. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You have a situation where somebody drops a Tua because of injuries. And then you're looking at that and saying, well, 
you know, obviously anything could happen here, but if he does come back healthy, then that's our QB one. And so we're going to bid 450. You want to go ahead and do that. You want to go ahead and get him. But the more moves that you can make that save you your fab dollars to make a big splash at the right moment. So if you could spend zero on QB for the season instead of spending, you know, 300 to 600 through a variety of moves, then that's going to free you up to make that big addition at a different position when you desperately need it. So again, we're trying to create as many pathways as possible. We're trying to figure out how to score as many points as possible at each position. And the reason that you would load up on QB, even though it's just one starter, is that you don't want to give that position away if there's another way to do it. You don't want to capitulate at QB and say, okay, we're just going to lose here. You want to try and figure out a path to get that guy who actually is going to be drafted next year in round seven, round eight, you know, maybe be the Tua or be the Trevor Lawrence, the guy who, I mean, is anybody we draft there going to score with a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Jalen Hurts? Probably not. But if they can score at that Joe Burrow or Justin Fields level from last year, you know, if they can score like a, you know, a, a poor man's Justin Herbert, not from last year, but from some of the years before, that will create a pathway to winning the million dollars that probably isn't there if you're just getting really low end QB production. So a couple other questions, I guess, to clarify that if you're going for, let's say, three lit, you're only doing that if it's a three lit. You're not doing that in you know any situation where you take anyone, I guess we'll say, above Tua who's going in the 10th round. You're, you're only doing that in that specific scenario that it's between, say, round 17 and 20, and they're your only quarterbacks. Right. I think that you can go with one if you have an elite QB, and I think you can certainly go with two if you have some mix of like Geno Smith with Jerry Goff. You wouldn't continue to add additional QB picks in that situation. And the other part then is to set it up was kind of lit tight end, lit uh, quarterback, but it also was basically six running backs to start. If it's a case that you're just say it's any combination through those opening 10 rounds of just running backs and wide receivers, do you think it's viable then to hit those three quarterbacks, for example, that we talked about, no matter what that opening bill does? I assume yes. I do. I do. So if you end up with say three running backs and six wide receivers, which I think is going to be a much you know more normal lineup and a lineup that's easier to sell to people, then I think you can do you know, the three QB plan. One of the things that is just always out there for you and you do kind of want to push in redraft leagues as opposed to best ball. I mean, the quarterback position and how that dynamic plays out is probably the position that has the biggest difference between the two formats. And because people only have to start one and you don't get any value from having two unless you actually do plan to kind of stream them against each other is that you can push it. And in a lot of drafts, individual players you like will be there below adp there's you're going to have a wider range of where the qbs could potentially go than some of the other positions and so i mean Tua is somebody who probably is going to be there for you late in a lot of drafts and once you have him you know i don't know that you need to do a whole lot other than potentially stashing guys you think have massive upside like a kyler murray one of the things with murray is just that I mean, we really have very little information. The coverage of Arizona doesn't really lend itself to providing a lot of insight there. And the difference between, say, week three or week four versus week 11, I mean, week 11 would be pretty rough because then 
I mean, you are operating a, a position down, a slot down, a roster slot down for almost the entire regular season. You know, and you, you've got to win that to get where having Kyler Murray matters. That, that's fair. Because if I'm looking through the ADPs and just for people you know, listening and or watching in terms of ADPs, we've mentioned two a few times, quarterback 10, the 10th round, then it's Anthony Richardson, 11th round, Stack Prescott, Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins are all 12th round picks, then Aaron Rodgers in the 13th, Jared Goff in the 14th, Russell Wilson in the 15th, 16th round is Derek Carr, Jordan Love and Kenny Pickett in the 17th, Kyler and Brock Purdy in the 18th, Brace Young in the 19th, and then Sam Howell and Matthew Stafford in the 20th. So there's a lot of potential options there, but it really feels to me like, you know, if I'm building out a team and you mentioned, for example, two and Goff, you know, Daniel Jones and Goff, even Geno Smith and Goff, those two, that feels quite comfortable, but I would I would be willing, and this is the part of the conversation, I guess, that we're getting back to about the three, and you mentioned even potentially four options, and Obviously, the way you've talked about it from a waiver wire perspective makes a lot of sense. I I would probably be willing to go as late as as Goff in the fourteenth, and then you know, let's say a Sam Howell or you know a Kenny Pickett probably would be the the next in line. Then a Kyler Murray. I, I I would be willing to settle on two of those. So it's not that I don't want to push quarterback, but I am intrigued on the element of you know, the strategic part that you have behind the waiver wire additions, for example. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Jerry Goff in the 14th, you know, you're probably not giving up a ton, but names who are going after him, Ty Chandler is interesting. Jerome Ford is interesting. Uh, You look at other positions where you might have some pressure and you're still looking to get a Hunter Henry and a Michael Mayer, a Trey McBride, and you can say, well, those guys have ADPs that are later. Maybe you can still get all of them, and yet you don't know if you can count on that, and especially if you need to load up on tight end, then any slot you use before you kind of got your tight ends you know, can come back to haunt you. And so even though I'm not placing a ton of emphasis on QBs with the receivers in redraft, I do think it's something where – Gino is a lot more interesting if you have JSN and Aaron Rodgers becomes borderline viable if you have Garrett Wilson and Jerry Goff is more exciting if you have, I mean, even if you have like Laporta and Jamison Williams, even though I mean, obviously you're not going to get much from Jamison Williams early, but certainly if, you know, we're drafting at the end, I mean, right now Amon Ra is going 110, so we probably won't get him. But if you had like Amon Ra and Garrett Wilson at the 112, 201, then looking at the potential to put Goff and Rogers together and then to play the matchups the rest of the way, I think that that is probably viable, but for, I mean, and you know, for me, I, I guess I'm a big believer in the upside of Pickett and Murray and Howell and Ritter. If you have enough of them and individually, even though I think that the upside for any individual guy there, you shouldn't count on. I think the upside is similar. It's just less likely to hit than for a Goff or a Smith. But it's kind of like last year when we drafted Gino in the last round. When you do hit there, then the players who drafted QBs in round 10 through you know round 14 are going to have a little bit more of a difficult time matching that if the guy they drafted instead also hits. So again, there are a lot of different moving pieces there 
But if you like guys like, you know, in round 12, I think it would be difficult to take Kirk Cousins or Daniel Jones because you just you really need to take Rasheed Rice. Now, that's not to say he's guaranteed to hit by any stretch, but the upside is significant enough that I don't think that you can take a QB whose points you can replace later when, you know, they're going to. And again, this is why your own board matters, because if you think that Van Jefferson could match the points or it's just a much better bet than Rasheed Rice, it changes who you're going to take at QB. If you think that, you know, a Donovan Peoples-Jones or a Paris Campbell or a Curtis Samuel, if you think that those guys are similar bets, it changes what you're going to do at QB, which is one of the reasons, Colin, that you always make such a great point about drafting from back to front. You need to know where your targets are, what they're likely to cost you, and what you think their range of outcomes are. And specifically, when we're talking about double-digit round players, you've got to think about it from a positive perspective of not like you know, what's the 99th percentile outcome, but like what's an 85th percentile outcome. And if it hits, doesn't matter because I mean, frankly, a lot of the guys in rounds 12 through 20 at wide receiver, if they hit their 85th percentile outcome, it still isn't playable, which is why we talk about the the wide receiver window and why zero RB has worked. Because if you have the zero RB guys and they hit, they are playable. And it's just simply not true for most of these receivers. They're worthless, even if they do what you want them to do. I think rice could be different i don't necessarily see that from a lot of other guys but if you have that on your own board lean into your own board don't take our word for it right you want to build the team that's right for you and so i think that that changes the dynamic a little bit come the other thing i wanted to kind of throw out you before we quit here is would you be comfortable i mean the thing that bothers me more than the qb scoring is the tight end scoring and so you know let's say we take that same play but instead of six running backs it's five running backs and George Kittle or Kyle Pitts? Can Does be, that suddenly make it? Can it be three running backs, tight end, and a wide receiver? Well, obviously it could be, but I, I know we're talking about it. my thing. My my preferred option is going to be the one-two turn wide receiver, wide receiver, and I'm open then to having three running backs in the next four selections. So between round three and round six, I think we pick up three running backs. So we're probably going to have three wide receivers, three running backs through six rounds. Okay. So what I'm getting is I is can't that making you uncomfortable. Oh no, no. I mean, you can obviously, I know it's not making you teams. uncomfortable, but in terms of your ideal strategy, am I sounding off here that we wanted six running backs in the four, six picks the part, I know when you asked that question, we didn't get into that part of it for me. I went into the back end of the roster, which might've been different. I think we're very close though, actually. And what we're going to do a quarterback. I do think, from Jared Goff onwards is probably where we're going to target two to three probably is what we draft, but I, I can understand the logic. So maybe Sean does push me to get three. If we, if we do that approach, the other part, then going to the running backs, wide receivers in the opening rounds. I, I do think that when you go beyond round seven in particular, and I know there is certain specific names like a Quentin Johnson, for example, even Jordan Addison, you know, you can get into trail on Burks. But there is less of those guys to actually target. There's a lot of names going in that range that are not targets for us. Players that we aren't going to draft. People that we don't want to have on our roster. And I think having the running backs, if we if it was as heavy as six in the four six rounds, I think the paths to success at wide receiver are narrower in terms of the players we have to select but then it does have to be a case where those outcomes hit and for example in the one we talked about Jamison Williams was a player you mentioned in that scenario we would 
miss his production for at least six weeks. And in that scenario, then you're already depleting a, what I would class as a depleted uh, wide receiver core. I know the upside is that the players that you mentioned, you could have te- uh, six of the top 15 running backs, basically doing the opposite of what we would do in zero RB, you know, with six of the top 15 wide receivers. But the paths feel narrower. Well, when we think about a team where, say, we draft zero running backs in the first 10 rounds, then the philosophy has always been that we're going to hit on some of these contingency-based breakouts or we're going to benefit from the chaos of the season and benefit from some injuries. And you're going to be able to fill those guys in and score some points. The dynamic there is that for the first month of the season, you're going to have four wide receivers in the starting spots, two in the receiver positions and two in the flex positions. But two of your starting spots at running back are going to, in all likelihood, be a little bit weaker. Now, especially in 2023, that's a little bit less the case. We talked in a previous show about how do you find zero RB candidates. And I mean, there are a lot of guys who are interesting in that range. But if we're if we start with five or six running backs, then you're going to play two running backs in the running back spots, and you're going to play two running backs in the flex spots, and you're going to have two guys who can bust or get hurt. And the idea there would be that each individual player has a lot higher scoring ceiling than the corresponding wide receiver that you could take. And then, so when we get to the seven through 12 range that I'm suggesting you could target receivers, you're looking for not the ability to find four receivers who start, but to find two receivers who start. And then if we're looking at, say, Dotson and you know maybe Sky Moore, who's going in the middle of round nine, if Sky Moore hits, then those two guys, I think you could easily argue for the first month of the season are better than you know these contingency-based plays at running back would give you if you drafted it the other way around. And so then when you're talking about round nine, Traylon Burks, yeah, you don't have him for a couple of weeks, but when he comes back, he's in the mix. You know, Bateman, very wide range of outcomes. Jamison Williams, you're not actually expecting to slot into one of those two spots for the first six weeks of the season. Although, again, I agree with you that when you are already kind of in this play, we're trying to use a lot of wide range guys to find two spots. You can be overconfident in the ability to find two spots. That's something to keep in mind. And then when you come back with Rasheed Rice, maybe you feel better about doing that if you've taken a sky more because then you have two of their shots covered. Now, one of the things with the Chiefs is you could have two of the shots covered and still not be there, right? I mean, it could be somehow MVS. It could be Kadarius Tony comes back and is healthy. It could be that Justin Ross is what we want him to be. And so it's just very easy to get overconfident. But when I'm looking at the guys who are available here and I'm trying to think of not only how do we get two guys at the beginning, but how do we get two guys at the end? who could win a million dollars and if Traylon Burks and Jamison Williams are the million dollar guys, then that would be how I'm sort of thinking through it. Again, I'm not pushing this on people. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm thinking, I'm saying, I think it's a good thought experiment to get you your, get yourself as mentally flexible as you need to be to go into a draft and really think through the possible outcomes that you can get with each individual player you're targeting. You mentioned there the part of it thinking through. I think, you know, I talked about last Friday's show a couple of times since we did it, but part of it is getting people to be able to think and make those decisions 
you know, on their own, listen to the show and then be able to make those informed decisions. And that's why I, like, I, I love doing shows like this where we're kind of talking back and forth. And I always think that, you know, we're any of these things were not far apart. The part that was getting me is, you know, you want three quarterbacks versus two. It's not that big of a change. And, you, you know, when you talk through it, then it makes a lot of sense from... Well, to be clear, I really want four quarterbacks, but... Yeah, well, Sean, we're going to meet in the middle. You want six running backs at the start. We're going to meet at three. <laughs> we're going to, so we're going to try and balance it out. But um, I do think having the flexibility to think through those approaches, whether we implement them or not. But again, the players that you're talking about, I want them on my rosters. But if you have a three and three, let's say through six rounds with three running backs, three wide receivers, and then you're adding in, let's say, two of those guys that you mentioned, and they're going to be your wide receiver four and wide receiver five, and they're obviously not really factoring in in those opening weeks. If that is the case, if it's a trail on Burks, I think it can build out. I also think that, you know, we can pick those running backs. Let's say it's Christian McCaffrey, Gibbs, Walker, Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, a combination of those. We do know that running backs tend to get injured throughout the season, and it is also the case that, you know, if you're drafting that two of those guys are going to get hurt, it's going to leave holes in the, the roster. And I know we're going to get wide receivers, tight ends, all those positions will get injured, but how do you feel on the flip side of that that when you're not only in the draft from rounds 10 through 16 trying to pick up some of the wide receiver options you mentioned Rasheed Rice for example he's a 12th round pick but in drafts by ADP Rice and Lazard are the only two wide receivers going in in round 12 so again narrow paths but when we get into the waiver wire as the season goes on how do you feel that that would work in terms of trying to replace running back production through the waiver wire would we be continuing on the same or would you be trying to replace the wide receiver production in the same way that we're trying to replace you know building your your running backs through the waivers during the season well this is the thing that i'm trying to kind of work through for myself and like fully conceptualize what the strengths and weaknesses are for it because one of the elements about say going three and three is that then I think we have a little bit of this compromise build to where you almost just want to go down with fewer running backs because you've opened yourself up to the downside of running backs, which is that they get hurt frequently. And a lot of the guys that we like in the first place are pretty risky. So our preferred picks are probably more likely to hit but they're also more likely to be pure landmines than, you know, the gross guys that we wouldn't pick and are more or less useless, but also maybe are more likely to get snaps in the first half of the season. The value of going to six is that you've built some redundancy in there and that you still have the ability to get to the two receivers that you need. So I think that part of it is that if you go with the, a lot of running backs early, it does actually change the number of receivers that you need, especially in a lineup again, where we get to start sits. And so we can pull out the wide receivers that we actually want. Whereas, I mean, it's, it's hard when you've been drafting really wide receiver heavy for, you know, 15 years to think about it as like, we really only need two. And that's why the FFPC is so different because a 2-2-2 format is just, 
I mean, it feels like, oh, well, I mean, you're trying to tell us that everything changes because it's 2-2-2 as opposed to 2-3-1. But man, it really is different. I mean, it's dramatically different in terms of what the consequences are of that slight change. And so if you get to the six running backs, I think you're in better position to take advantage of the fact that every single pick all of the way through, the running back has the higher ceiling and you're in position to withstand the guys who are going to get hurt. Whereas if you go with three, then it's almost kind of back to the situation where it's like, why even go to three? Because we are going to play it through wide receivers. And once you kind of get into that range, it's back to this thing of, well, why do we do, you know, modified zero RB as opposed to like double anchor? It's because so you're it, going to allow me to just draft two running backs now. Is that what you're saying? We're just going to take two? Well, I, mean, back there again? <laughs> I mean, it seems like we're going to end up just drafting zero, but unless so you reason, really do lean into it completely, then I think you're kind of back into this position where you're better you off. one foot on each side of the, you know, you're, you're halfway in on both sides rather than going all in. Right. Where you kind of want to get exposure to your running backs across leagues as opposed to stacking them within one league where every time that you stack an additional running back in a given league, then you're really adding more risk as opposed to anything else. But again, one of the things that's so fun about 2023 is you want to go very much player by player and have a sense of who you want and who you don't want, because there are some massive voids at receiver in these drafts where the receivers just frankly do not hold up to their ADP at all. But you have the option of simply reaching into the next round. You don't have to take one of the guys you don't like. And I know that there are going to be people who justifiably point out that ADP value is something that has traditionally helped folks. But I guess I would just, again, say, if you don't think that you can beat ADP, if you don't think that your player selections are meaningful, it doesn't seem that fun. And I would question if you're as good as you could be at it because adding that layer in i think is what separates the really great fantasy players so we're going to leave it there for this edition but what i want people to do is tweet the over under of uh over under for running backs in the first six picks in this main event draft sean will set it at three and a half does that seem fair well not really because you said three is the absolute limit so Two and a half? Two and a half. Let us know in the comments if you're watching it on YouTube. Will it be over or under two and a half? Send the tweets to at over Tim Ireland. Let me know. But I think it's been a good discussion. Uh, I think one of the things I'm always very aware of is trying not to just have conversations where we just agree with each other all the time throughout it. So I think this is fun. I think the listeners will hopefully have enjoyed listening along. And it shows some of the different things that you can do from one extreme to the other or potentially meet in the middle. We'll see what we do, though, in the main event. Excited for that. Hopefully, anyone that is doing their redraft leagues this coming weekend, I know there'll be some then coming up next week and the following weekend. My home league draft is actually that last weekend before the season, so looking forward to meeting up with some of my friends for that one. They are always a real fun time of the year. Best of luck if you are drafting this weekend, whether it's in a redraft league, a home league, the main event. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtomorrow. And my co host is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's work up on rotoviz.com and including the Zero RB countdown. And until we are back, have a good one. 
Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.